Welcome to this podcast called Curious About Recovery. I am Kirsten Honeyball. I am your host. And in this podcast, I will be diving deep into eating disorders, which are complex and challenging to navigate. So whether you're a sufferer, a professional, a family or loved one of a sufferer, you can join me as I get curious by interviewing professionals, chatting to eating disorder survivors and sharing my personal experience with an eating disorder so that you can better understand various perspectives remove stigma, hear inspiring testimonies, and simply get curious about all things eating disorder related. I would like to put out a trigger warning. These episodes explore the topic of eating disorders and some content may be triggering to listeners. Topics explored may mention, but are not limited to, trauma, diets, food and body types, suicide, mental illness, substance use, self-harm, violence, gender identification topics, and more. Please take care before listening to any episodes. It's important to note that this podcast is not aimed to diagnose, treat, or cure any form of mental illness and should not be seen as a replacement for treatment of eating disorders. Everything said here is expressed in relation to personal and professional opinions and listeners should be encouraged to view these episodes as an open-minded exploration of various possibilities and perspective rather than hard facts and solutions. Please take what applies or resonates with you and leave the rest. And if you're struggling with an eating disorder, don't hesitate to reach out to me at Kirsten at kirstenhoneyball.co.za. Today we have Tracy Brown on the show with us. She is a somatic nutrition therapist and a registered dietitian. She's a nervous system health educator and an attuned eating coach in a private practice providing in-person phone and online counseling since 2006. She specializes in treatment of eating disorders and eating problems for both adults and children, as well as issues related to overextending the body, including adrenal fatigue, hormone issues, PCOS, and gut health. She routinely teaches intuitive eating workshops and disordered eating-related talks throughout Florida. She's also the guest on Nutrition Therapist for Feast, an online intuitive eating program, and has appeared on many podcasts featuring topics on intuitive eating, trauma healing, positive body image and recovery. She believes what healing food and weight concerns is really about is about deciding to live fully human in the diverse and amazing bodies that we have, living and feeling fully with courage and being dedicated to the fullest expression of who we are is the point. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. And I don't remember that I write these things. So <laughs> thanks for reading that back. I'm like, did I say that? But anyway, Thank you for having me. That's wonderful to have you here. And I'm sure that there's going to be so much value that we gain in this time together. So we can just go straight into, you know, what is it that you do? Tell me about your somatic nutrition and how that works, why you got into what you do, and a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll try to start from the story part because that gives the evolution of why we're here today. So I I imagine a lot of people relate to this. It's like, it felt like things were relatively normal and okay growing up. Like things were, seems like there was a lot of like care and love around. But what I recognize now as an adult is that growing up, maybe my physical needs were met, but emotionally, emotions just weren't on the table. So I ended up with a lot of these deficits of how to like manage emotion, manage stress. And eventually I think those were some of like the little mini T's 
maybe among some other big T's. So those are called traumas that um, kind of led to this implosion when I was in high school of uh, chronic dieting. And then it turned into anorexia, binge eating, exercise addiction. And so I ended up going through my own journey and thinking, you know, I didn't know what a dietitian was. And so I ended up having some support from one that was very much a non-diet one. And that's really pretty rare back in the 19, mid 1990s when I did my recovery. And she was like a, a non-diet, eat the food and make peace with your body kind of person. I'm like, oh, cool. That's what dietitians do. The relationship was really great, which is mostly what I was really hungry for, like authenticity and safety in relationship. And that was the root of my eating where really. I was lacking that and I didn't know how to get it and couldn't find it. And I was always made to feel like it was too much. So anyway, we have this great thing. I go on through recovery and I go to school to be a dietitian. And I'm like, all right, this is how you learn how to do this. And I get to school and I find out like, oh no, a lot of this, not all of it. Some of my education was really great and lots of great skills and uh, medical education. But a lot of it was just... Um, diet culture wrapped up in a very um, higher educational kind of setting, basically. And by the time I graduated and you have to get like more education to get licensed, and it's like, this is basically if I'm going to practice this skill set now, I'm going to learn to do it totally different from what I just learned over the last five years. I had to unlearn most of what I learned and know that like, if I can't figure that out, I'm going to have to do something different because I cannot put people on diets. It will never happen. And because I know the harm that they do to people, regardless of if you need to improve something health-wise, it's just not going to work with this approach. People aren't going to be physically, mentally, or emotionally better calorie restricting. They're just going to gain it back, you know? So anyway, I go about my career. I find people that actually do this for a living, that I did some training under, and I learned how to be a, a nutrition therapist for chronic dieters and eating disorders and all that. So let's fast forward a couple of years, and I'm doing... You know, I did since 2006 doing nutrition therapy and helping people all over. And I would recognize that some people just when they learn that there's a new way or not a new way, but a new old way, which is eating from hunger and fullness and learning about like, you know, body diversity. It's like they got it. And, you know, within the year, they had a really, really grounded, solid year and a half ability like, okay, leave diet behind, accept their bodies, move on. There's a certain population that can do that. And I, well, I started comparing like, well, some people can do this. Some people, they really struggle for like, they loop into like, I'm doing really good and they crash, do really good. They crash either like lots of anxiety or, or um, just the bottom falls out. And they literally, I would notice people in sessions just kind of checking out. And I'm like, wait a minute, they're not meaning to do that. That feels like really out of their control. So I started, started studying like, okay, why? And I knew that some people had like obvious trauma and some people had more relational stuff, but they still didn't really know how to communicate because they learned those skills and move on. Some people, what I came to find out, like we're literally dissociating in session. Some people were getting to, into such sympathetic, such your fight or flight responses, either being in relationship, like that was like not like was more authentic and more vulnerable and just more real that would spin them out and they couldn't learn and they couldn't grow. So I kind of left the eating disorder world for a good long time in terms of my study and recognize like, oh, these are trauma responses. This isn't because they don't want to recover or they don't want to learn or they don't want to be better. It's that their body, something about either just being in the room in relationship or the content of what we're doing or the idea of recovery or what it means to be recovered in terms of not having 
restricting, binging, purging, over-exercising, dissociating from the body, those are defensive strategies because inside there's nothing else that feels safe. Everything feels too much. So when you start to like not restrict and binge and purge or whatever you're doing, all you feel is all that threat response and it's too much. You know, we don't always have capacity to deal with all that because we never got it. So like, okay, this is what's going on here is people who are chronically looping and struggling with like a full recovery or going to treatment a lot and like they go there, come home, relapse, go, you know, all those things. There's not, I, I've, I discovered like, oh, if people are actually going to fully recover, who've been through some really hard stuff in their body, anytime they're not doing behaviors goes into threat responses, they need to build a landing pad of safety. Otherwise recovery will never stick. It's not their fault, but we have to like, one, grow our skill set as clit practitioners and got to grow the field. So that's been my mission the last 11 years now is one to like make sure I'm cleaned up all my own trauma stuff, which I had, you know, which you'll see it as a clinician, like when you're wanting everybody to like you and please people and overwork or whatever you're doing that be helpful. Those are some things that most practitioners need to clean up, but also understand the physiology of stress and trauma to, and then to be able to work with it in session and the work be it just as much about building safety and relationship because that's what's missing for people as much as teaching like you know hunger fullness skills and and um, learning how to decode i feel fat and body image work and all that people have to have something in like internally safe i have to be able to manage the feelings i have otherwise i'm white knuckling recovery and if one more thing rocks the boat it all just tips over and we gotta start over again right so that's been my mission is to teach people to learn the difference between physical and emo not only physical and emotional hunger and fullness but also, also their um, indicators of fight or flight or freeze or please because if you can witness your experiences you're less triggered by them and they make you can make sense and make meaning of your experience and not feel so in threat about everything you think or feel and what your triggers are and you know what that needs to heal so that's the long, short story <laughs> and the short goes along. So it's, it's beautiful. I love how you've taken me all the way from the beginning and up to where you are now in such a coherent way. And what really stands out for me through that journey is um, a couple of words that, that you highlighted was this idea of relationship, this idea you said, you know, this is what this wasn't what you were really hungry for you know this idea of there's something that our souls are like and i need something that can make me feel okay um and a lot of the time there's gaps in the way that we treat the relationship to food in the body where we we forget oh wait there's actually the relationship element there's actually the trauma element there's actually all these different layers that we can't separate we have to look at them holistically firstly amazing to you. <laughs> You're doing amazing work and highlighting things that need to be highlighted. I think the fact that you got that initial person who was able to relate to you and to teach you relationship in your food and body and self-growth, you know, to be able to do that initially because a lot of the time I think people go to and and bless their souls I'm sure they mean well but they'll go to dietitians who don't understand this element that you've that you've highlighted is so important and it can cause a lot of damage and so you know recognizing that 
A, trauma is a huge part of the recovery journey, whether it's chronic trauma, whether it's acute trauma, whatever it is, and that it has to be almost nurtured as as much as the food relationship, right? And you mentioned there's a lot of disassociation you'll see where people start to feel that vulnerability, that rawness. There's almost like a detachment. And I've actually had people say to me before, that it feels like they can't access the things that are making them feel this way, right? So in your experience, or or they, they either can't access it or it turns into rage. And, and it's always one of those two. And so with your experience and your understanding of, of trauma and the way we relate to the food and body, like, what do you think is going on here when we either switch off or we turn to this like blind rage anger that almost needs to be like exerted? That's right. Well, so if you think about threat responses, we, we are supposed to have them. So these aren't bad things like, oh, the rage, oh, the dissociation. You can't other that stuff because we are wired to be either our nervous systems are always like it. Can I, do I need to protect myself or is it safe to connect? So it's always always, it's always running in the background. 24 seven, like right now you and I are neurocepting, even through screens, like is it safe to hear and be here and talk with her. That was a nice face. She just made a smiling and laughing. So it's like, mm, that feels like a, a social cue. I think I'm okay here. We're always doing that unconsciously. So when you have, but we have a relationship with smiling is usually it means safe, right? Usually, unless we have a bad experience with like smiling means I get hurt next. So not always smiles aren't always welcome. We don't, know that unless we get in deeper relationship with someone. So for example, if someone, let's say you mentioned in a session that, um, you know, I'm thinking that it's going to be really important that to fix this depri- to heal this deprivation driven eating when you eat more in the first half of the day, let's say you make that suggestion and somebody uncharacteristically just blows up and, or maybe you get mad when somebody suggests you eat more or you want to like, no, I can't because on all the reasons. That's protection. There's a reason why that suggestion, it's not really the suggestion because they might know it's true, but there's a part of them that's like, if I eat more food, bad things happen. And all this really comes down to either, you know, wanting to, you know, wanting to belong and feeling protected or feeling safe. Right. So when our responses to like a food suggestion or let's look at this or let's journal, let's decode comes with, um, an incongruence like response, you know, then you're in threat response now. So in fight or flight, that's where we go first. So if you feel like in threat, you're going to either want to run away or push against because it doesn't feel safe for some reason. We have our job as clinicians is to like, Hey, let's talk more about that response there. I'm not making you do anything. We're just talking about it. What's that like inside what's happening for you over there? Let's, let's be with that and observe it. And if a person can um let's say that you are not having that conversation and a person's in running mode they're running away from what's good for them or they're fighting against what's good for them those are protective strategies but let's say a person couldn't run anymore they got in they were in a situation in the past where they tried to run away or they couldn't or they just couldn't or they couldn't fight or they got in trouble for fighting where if you don't have a window of tolerance if you don't have safety you're just going to shut down that's what dorsal is that's where like freeze like curling up like a possum and playing dead is or people or faint or fawn would be, I'll do whatever I got to do for this person to like be safer from them. 
So let everybody's different into the into the patterning of responses they have to threat. Some people are runners, some people are fighters, like they're your your home away from home is that. Some people it's like they barely feel a little pinch or a little glimmer of some like fight or flight and then they shut down immediately. They weren't allowed to do any of that. There was no room for any big emotion or big response or maybe appropriate response, but they weren't allowed to do it. So they're go their home away from home is dorsal. They shut down or they please you. This would be the person that says like, well, what? Like, I, I'm so sorry. I hope you're not mad at me today. I didn't do any food journaling. Like, I'm like, okay, stop. I know they're in fun. They're projecting like something on me <laughs> that that's not congruent with our relationship because it's been established. I'm here to partner with you. You can't do this wrong. You're not going to get judged by your intake. Everything's just information, but that's cognitive until they have more experiences with me as like a compassionate witness with them, they're going to fawn until their systems learn, their bodies learn with me that you don't have to do that here. You're not going to get in trouble, but it takes time. You know, it takes time and being really explicit. Like there's, there's that part that feels bad for not being perfect or not doing what you're supposed to do. Could we, could we talk with that? Cause that's not, that's not a, a person's adult self. Nobody needs to fawn <laughs> with another person or even do we actually need to fight unless we need to fight. Like if somebody's actually a threat to your physical safety, you better fight. You better run. If you have to fawn to, sur to survive, you better do it. But sometimes we're doing it and it's incongruent with the situation. And that's what I try to teach my clients is it's not those times. I recently read this thing where it talks about how necessary the the idea of rage or, or anger or whatever, those, those kinds of emotions can be. And it must never be seen as a negative, just being like, is this, like you said, is this congruent? Is this proportionate to whatever's going on, you know? Yeah. And sometimes I want to say, though, underneath like all some of that, not everything's a threat response. Sometimes we're just like, I'm finally feeling my anger from being told my body wasn't good enough for 50 years. We want to have mixed there, that is a welcome here. That's not like a fight response we have to fix. Sometimes it's just literally like, yeah, that was so screwed up. It's always been screwed up. It will always be screwed up. And there's room for that here and you're not going to get in trouble. And I can definitely relate to this idea of protecting oneself in an attempt to escape the physical. But I don't, I mean, I've never really understood why that happens <laughs> I mean I understand the the processes of how to like self-regulate and how to nourish the body and how to connect with the body and everything but I never really understood you know why would we why would we as humans turn to self-destructing the physical self in order to feel safe how does that how does that work yeah so it's actually not a self-destructive thing it really feels protective this at that moment that little moment in time was all there was. I'll give you my personal example. So when I was in high school and the thing that tipped me over the edge to go on a diet, when I thought dieting was stupid, I watched my, all the matriarchs of my family's diet and be miserable. And I hated it. I hated it with a passion. Like, like, like stop worrying about what you think so much about what everybody else thinks. And like, you know, this is me younger and junior high, like that, that's dumb. But as my adolescence progressed and, you know, oh, emerging into adulthood, you know, you have a lot of big emotion and there was nowhere for me to put it. It wasn't allowed because it scared people. They couldn't handle their own. So emotion, lack of emotional safety is like, if I share something with you, do you drop it on the floor? Do you tell me it's not that bad? Um, 
you give me something to do to distract me because you can't handle hearing it. So that, that would be emotional lack of safety. And so like, what did I have to do in those moments? And, it, and it, all that was happening. And then I had a really bad breakup and like, there was nobody around to give me any kind of like constructive help whatsoever. And I asked for it and I didn't get it. And so my brain started to make meaning of that about me. Cause that's what adult, that's what children do. We're not adults. We don't have adult brains. Your brain doesn't finish developing until 25. It's almost like we should not be allowed to do anything with like keys and alcohol or anything important decision wise to until your brains are done. Our world is structured differently though. But anyway, I kind of had to make me like, well, you know, this person did this to me. It was a total betrayal. There's nobody else here that has anything helpful or just can't even be with me with this. And so it must be me, you know, I must've done something really wrong to feel so bad. And this happened to me. This is what people do. This is what anybody younger is going to do. And it feels like there's a bad thing. That's trauma. Something is too much for my system and there's no, there's no empathetic witness. So I just, my brain has to, brains make meaning of our experiences. And in the absence of anything, again, helpful and growth oriented, I'm like, well, it's about me. If I was just X, Y, Z, more put together like these girls who diet, my brain started to make meaning of like why that happened to me. I dieted, you know, stupid, you know, like something really dumb, you know, like, oh, I didn't have breakfast and it threw me full on in the anorexia. And then it was like, oh, you start to notice like, wow, I'm number with all this restriction. Oh, people don't hurt me now. So it was very protective to not eat because people at first were like, what is she doing? At first you get like compliments. Oh, you're so great. What did you do? I'm like, yeah, I am so great because I'm a good dieter. Now you get some identity stuff going. Now I feel a little bit better. And then as it progresses, you just progressively get more mentally, you know, distorted and not well, emotionally, you're numb. You don't care about anything or anybody really hardly. You might still people please because that's socially acceptable, but you don't want to do it, but you could just numb it out your frustration about that. And then before you know it, it's like, it's just you and the eating disorder. That's the only thing you trust. That's how, it's how, that's how it works. <laughs> so it's, it's very destructive on the surface, but underneath it really becomes like, this is all there is here for me. And if I let this go, you feel like you're going to fall into this big, deep emotional abyss of too much. And your experience has been like, nobody's been here. Well, I can't handle this. So I'm not letting it go. It takes a lot of, you know, you're almost going to get like sick enough of your sick enough, right? Or you get like something bad that happens, or maybe if you're lucky, you get some kind of like come to Jesus moment where you're like, wow, this can't be all there is. And I had a combination of all of it to like, this isn't a life. And so I had to take start taking, taking some risk and do really, really hard, uncomfortable things. And you have to decide, it's kind of a choice. I'm going to start to try to trust people again and, and accept that they're not perfect and they can't meet all my needs. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal to like try to be honest i think uh, again it's this idea of relationship how That's do we right. perceive others how do others perceive us and do i feel emotionally safe in the direct relationships that i have or do i even have those relationships mm -hmm. in the first place mm -hmm. right. and I, I think that you know first addressing how can i bring safety back to my That's own right. relationship right. with my own self is is a really important part of the process because you know, it's hard to trust people when you've been traumatized by relationship. When you speak about the, all the beautiful layers that go with the recovery from disordered eating, there's also the actual 
eating process, right? So so a couple of things that I, I wanted to to touch on and ask you about. Number one, I've heard about intuitive eating. I haven't heard about attuned eating. So this is a new concept for me and I'd love to know more about it and how one nourishes the nervous system and how this can help manage your emotions and, and, and regulate um I guess, the, the nervous system. Attuned eating, honestly, was just a word that I started using a long time ago because people were telling me, now it wasn't me like being so brilliant. It was like, you know, this isn't intuitive for me to be doing this. <laughs> I don't get this, this this language here. I'm like, okay, here you go. Let's, let's talk about what are we trying to actually do here? It's like, well, I want to be um, connected. We can call it connected eating if you want to, but we land on the word attuned eating because it's like, what are you noticing inside? And sometimes you don't notice your hunger fullness signals because you're too in fight or flight or you're in freezer, please. Let's first get like aware of our situation right now and start to get um, separate from what's physical, what's emotional, what's threat response, what's relational. And then, okay, what does this need? What does this need? What does this need? What does this need? And we want to use the body as a resource. To, you can't tell from your brain to your body, hey, body, chill out, or it's okay to be here, but you can help it feel it and sense it because our nervous system is what senses from around us and inside of us that it's okay. So not only do we talk about you eating enough, or if you're on the spectrum of like struggling with compulsive eating or binge eating, however you label your experience is eating regularly still provides like this um, neurosensory something to expect. Like, you know what to expect. I'm going to get to eat again. And that's why no matter what kind of eating disorder you have, you know, you've heard the term um, mechanical eating. It's super unsexy. Nobody wants to do it, but it really helps build some, not only just mental, but emotional and nervous system expectancy. You're going to get fed again. That's just one less thing you've got to be in threat response about that you have to worry about not getting fed and not being cared for and attuned to. Attuned eating is just all the stuff of intuitive eating plus this like, can we get the body out of threat about what's going to happen? Am I going to get starved? Am I going to have to wait and then stuff myself? Like what's happening today? What's going to happen? And if when you provide expectancy for people who have trauma, you lower their, them being in, in activation automatically. And I suppose it's because uh, a, a certain sense of more certainty or like you said, expectancy might create a feeling of, okay, well, I know what's coming, so it's going to be okay. And I don't have to freak out, you know? Yeah. And, and also when you say this word attuned, I, I think about, I think about like tuning a guitar and, you know, intuitive eating and it's wonderful. I love it. And I practice it myself. Um, and it has this idea of this deeper knowing that takes a long time to kind of develop. However, this attuned eating, it's kind of like not knowing straight away, but maybe moving the knob just a little bit this way and a little bit that way until you find what vibrates correctly for you. You know, That's right. Well, that's, again, what's congruent? What's congruent? And it might not be that, um, you know, for you, like half the day you can't do intuitive eating. You have to be mechanical and you have to like provide safety things for your body, like, um, you know, having your weighted blanket as you eat, um, because whatever reasons, there are reasons to uncover that some parts of the day are great. Some places are easy. Some places aren't. So, you know, you don't want to put yourself in a situation to fail. If you know that like evenings are so hard, the rest of the day, I got this covered, especially if I eat enough the first half of the day, eat full permission, but evenings, no matter how great the first half of the day is, are hard for me. And there's a reason for that. So why, make yourself paddle with no oars. 
provide more more safety. It's so it's so good, and I think it's about that trial and error for each individual. Um, you mentioned weighted blankets. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Anything you can do to provide your body with some feedback of now time. There's nothing fancy or magical about any of this stuff. Sensory tools are just like things that you can feel, you can touch, you can see, you can hear your sensory system to help your body know it's 2022 or whenever you're listening to this audio and you're here and hopefully you're in a space that you chose and it's relatively safe enough, get your body here. Because with the eating experience, sometimes we're not always here. We're in your head. What are people going to think if I eat this here in public? You know, oh, I'm with my whatever relative that used to fat shame me. So the things you can do at home by yourself in your own safety, maybe, or with people you feel more safe with are going to be harder in experiences or relationships that don't feel as safe. That's just the reality. Your body is going to be telling you that, which takes you out of your window. And what your window of tolerance is, is where your normative eating is. Sympathetic, not so much. Just bi- biologically, the body isn't like on board right now for like normative eating and digestion it's on board for running or fighting if you're in dorsal your body is on board for okay we got to really protect you be really still be small protect your you know protect yourself in that kind of way digestion is not the priority so when you feel in relative safe relationship and you've got your skills and you've got your problem solving abilities and you've got your you're being an empathetic witness to yourself eating's not that it's there are challenges, but it's not that hard. So we want to have sensory tools that help our bodies get there. So would you say someone in the beginning of their eating disorder recovery journey, I mean, not everyone has the the um, privilege of going to treatment facilities and stuff like that. So it would it be important for a person to try and create kind of this space that makes them feel safe with eating as much as possible in the beginning, at least before they start venturing out and challenging themselves? Yeah, totally. Set yourself up to be quote unquote successful where it's like, I know what I'm doing. I know what the function and the purpose of this is. I'm in agreement with this. This is not being done to me. And because if you can get there, it's it's still challenging because your brain might still have an opinion about like, if you eat that, you know, you're, you're going to gain weight. Nobody's going to love you. You're going to, you know, have stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know. You're just here to help me not be rejected again. But I still need to eat this food because I have stuff I, I need and want to do but I'm still here for you. It's a lot easier to like separate yourself from that uh, loud, but thinking it's protecting you noise, basically. When you have something that's like, you can feel that's here for you, like, oh, this blanket, that music, this safe person that's supporting what I'm trying to do. It's it's a really interesting thing. And I think it's so important just to create that safety and, and see it not as a failure if you need certain tools to help you in the beginning, you know. Um, one thing that you, you touched on briefly in your personal story was the fact that you did struggle with um, exercise addiction. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Bringing bringing this into into play, right? I know you you deal a lot with gut health, you deal a lot with um, hormones, um, you know, all of that stuff, and then your own personal experience with with um, exercise. And and I've seen it happen a lot with people who have um, exercise addiction who try to move away from that, and the physical self becomes unbearable. And there's a lot of things that come in with that. It's central nervous system um, issues, it's hormonal issues. It's anything, but can you maybe touch on 
you know, what might be going on in a person's body who has been an exercise addiction that is now trying to kind of come to a state of more calm, stable, loving nourishment move and nourishing movement and how they can support themselves nutritionally through that as well. Well, I'll speak for myself and then maybe some other um, other things that people experience because mine's not the only experience, right? But for me, flat out, exercise was about escape. I didn't care about health. <laughs> I didn't really care that much about being super fit. I just moved because I thought I needed to, to be okay. It was totally a flight response to like get away from feelings. And the secondary byproduct was like, people give you lots of like, oh, you're so disciplined. You're so powerful. You're so this. And I'm like, you have no idea. But how can you express like, I just can't stand to be in my own skin. That's all it was. Because the moment I would slow down, all the emotions would come back. So that's my experience. And I would say a good percentage of people struggle with that. It's like, they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing anymore. They're not really improving their fitness level. Their body isn't changing. Sometimes people are even gaining weight. That happened to me. The more exercise, the more gain weight I gained because I think that my body was under tremendous stress and holding on and I wasn't feeling myself well. I was just restricting and binging constantly. So anyway, I had to learn how to just go to, I, for me, I couldn't want, I couldn't cold turkey, just stop because I, could, I couldn't have dealt with the emotional bottleneck, like tsunami. So I had to slowly go down, but keep that commitment that like, I know why I'm doing this. And the commitment is that like, I want to have it in its proper place because I like to move, but like, you know, a fourth of what I was doing. Right. So um, anyway, I just had to titrate it down, titrate it down and keep commitments. Like if I say 30 minutes, I'm also not going to just always only stop at 30 minutes. It's going to be like, well, today's 29. Today's 2739 or whatever it is, you know, I had to make myself like not turn this into another OCD ish programming kind of thing. So that was helpful for me to like get to the place where I just, I move when I felt like it. Cause I had this experience like, wow, like as I'm learning to feel my feelings and articulate and get in relationship and I'm seeing that like this magical thinking, like the more you move, the less you weigh and the more buff you are and all like the stuff is just kind of, eh, you know, it's not real. It's just a fantasy. Then I started my body too, not just like being able to do emotions, but some people that I work with, uh, let's say the exercise addiction route. I mean, they still have to deal with the flight response of like, if I don't do this, then I'll never get my health goals. And then I'm going to die. Just like the doctor said, I'm going to die. I'm like, okay, stop. That isn't actually helping you be consistent. If your goal really is your health, we've got to be able to be in the moment. Like what helps you connect we have to have a different relationship with your movement for it to stick, not be like extreme and nothing, extreme and nothing. That's just dieting. You know, that's not even moving for the sake of health. It won't stick. So it's got to be from a place of, again, a relationship and safety, not on getting the doctor off your back because you were a good girl and you did the prescribed amount and they're happy with you. And they're not, that's fawning. We're not doing that anymore. Like we're going to figure out a way to move in a way that feels good to you and trusting that you're going to be active consistently long-term when this is not done in, again, in fight or flight. You know, if that, somebody tells you, if you don't do this, you're going to die. I don't know. How, I think that's, that's a threat response. I don't think that's very motivating, to be honest. It definitely speaks into this idea of building relationship to the act rather than the act itself, which is really important. So, you know, when people are coming to you and they needing nutritional rehabilitation, what, is the, what do you find that they struggle with the most and how do you help them move towards solutions? Well, of course. I mean, if food is the threat, 
They don't really know why that's the threat. Everybody at the, on the surface says it's about weight gain. I don't want to gain weight. Well, of course, that's our programming. Nobody in Western culture is supposed to be happy about that, even if it's good for you. It doesn't matter because it's a relational issue. If I gain weight, people might criticize me. People might judge me. People might um, not want to be around me. So we have to deal with that layer first. Let's, let's, let's talk about when we, if we don't have enough of ourselves, like built up in ourselves, we are going to care a lot about what other people think. And that dictates how we live our lives. So you've got to kind of work on that piece as we're working on like more food and letting that prove that the food isn't necessarily hurting you, but you're feeling the feelings of the hurt that you haven't processed yet. The anger, the rage, no, the rage and the shame and the grief. So let's talk about the sensations of what you're feeling. And some of this is digestive discomfort because gastric motility isn't great. That's, that's part of this. Let's work on the symptomology, whatever we need to do to help you um, get through the bloating, the gassiness, the, all the things that are going to happen, right? It, it's, it's time limited. It will go for most people this goes away. Just recognizing that if it worked, you would feel if, if restricting and being this malnourished, let's, it doesn't matter the weight. If this was working, you would be at peace. If this does what did what it promised you to do, you wouldn't have like anxiety every time you ate. You wouldn't have dread and guilt and fear and shame every time you ate or after you ate if this actually gave you the safety and peace it promised. So it's this illusion of this idea that is something's going to make us feel better or feel safe. And it's kind of like the illusion or it's it's like we're being sold a lie by our own heads and then it's at the end of the day it's just something that causes more fear more discomfort and more more fear more isolation more um even gaslighting we don't experience because sometimes when you're really in it you'll have moments of clarity like what am i doing i'm starving and i know good and well right now i'm doing some kind of thing to avoid my hunger distracting myself, drinking coffee, whatever it is that you're, you're doing and recognizing what am I doing? And then, you know, you know, your brain will take over like, no, 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 it's fine. You know, it, it, it's, it's not really hunger. You're just tired or you'll, you'll hear some kind of thing that's protective, even though it's really awful. It's almost like you're being protected by something that doesn't understand the consequences of its protection, right? It's like, this thing doesn't know it's killing you. It just thinks, oh good. You're not anxious right now. This moment, you don't have to feel that encapsulated thing that it was, it came on board to protect you from in the first place. So here, I know people can't see here. Here's my fist. Here's my other hand in front of it. It's like, this is the protector. That's the eating disorder. This is the binge eating. This is the overexercise. This is the disassociation from my body. So I don't see my size. That's all this stuff is. It's like, I can't be with this because this part of you couldn't, it couldn't do it too little, too young, no resources, whatever. It's not capable. Our adult selves, the one with support can learn how to do this in absence of that, of relatively safe enough support and our own efforts, that protector will run the show forever. It won't let go because there's nothing better. So I'm, I'm hearing like a, a huge barrier that I think a lot of people must deal with on a, um, when they're coming into recovery or even if they've been on the recovery journey for a long time is this 
this ability to create a safe relationship to the self, to the food, to the others, to to everything. And and you know these these barriers can be really challenging, especially when you're starting to feel physical discomfort, like gastric um, issues, um, you know, hormonal issues, all of that stuff. Um, what we're trying to do is help people recognize there's a difference inside between a discomfort and a threat. Gas isn't a threat. Fullness isn't a threat. But it might be overcoupled inside neurobiologically somehow with some kind of like, oh, and I felt this feeling with that food. You're having flashbacks of something bad happening to you, but it's not the food. It's the thing that happened that did not get resolution. And in a recent blog, you spoke about the idea of food barriers. Um, Would you like to tell me a little bit more about what these are and how to deal with them? Oh, gosh. Uh, So barriers have to do a lot with uh, yeah, again connection right and, and the ability to feel safe enough to connect and then take action so the first step is if you can't slow down when i say yield all i mean is like can you sit in a chair and let the chair support you that's it the next step is if you can slow down enough to witness what's around you or inside of you what the truth is you can get some clarity this is your this is where we do hunger and fullness work and or, or follow our meal plans or um, when we know that we can't cook every day, that we cook once a week and cook a bunch. We know we need to do those things. This is like our clarity stuff of the truth of what we need. So what do I need to eat? How much? What's satisfying? These are the facts. But you don't know the facts unless you can slow down to witness and get some truth past all the, like the, the beliefs and the emotions and all the stuff. The next step is like, let's say that you've worked on your yield. You can slow down and be in relationship with yourself and others and you can get some clarity. Let's say, well, I haven't even done the barriers. Yet. So a barrier to yield would be just all that sympathetic. I just can't slow down because when I slow down, I feel too much and I feel like I'm going to die. So I'm helping people learn how to slow down. <laughs> and that takes months. Sometimes I'm just doing yield for six months of like in sessions over and over and over again. Like, what's that like inside that you slow down and you didn't explode? You didn't get judged. Nothing bad happened over and over and over again, because people don't have an experience of that. They don't know how to do it. Same thing with clarity. Like when we don't have clarity, we're like, just tell me what to eat already. Like, I don't want to think about food. Those are the things you'll hear, or you'll hear yourself say like, wait a minute, I'm an adult. Did I just ask another adult to tell me like how much pasta it takes for me to feel satisfied? Did I just say that? Nobody else can know, but us, our job as clinicians is to help you like, how would you know inside? Let's sit down together, yield and sit down together and have an experience. Well, you have a a barrier with clarity when you've been told what to do your whole life. Diet culture, right? Somebody's told you're too big. You don't know how to eat. Like, obviously, if you took care of yourself, you look a certain way. Gaslight, 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 your own experience. That's how people don't have any clarity anymore. So we have to teach people like, oh, that's nonsense. That's just control. Your body is the boss of this. Now there's sometimes wonky symptoms and signals and we've got to get clear. So, you know, that's our job is to get clarity with actual signals and we can work on that. So let's say we work on those barriers and you know what you want to eat, but you can't reach. Reaching would be like, I can go to the store and buy what I need. What are the barriers for that? Sometimes people, so sometimes people have reached in their lives like me. I had a lot of, a lot of reach barriers. I knew what I wanted usually. I knew I wanted like somebody to be able to listen to my feelings and not tell me they're too much. I knew that. But every time I would go to do that in my life, I would, it, my reach would be pushed aside or told it was too much. So I stopped reaching. That's what, and that's what anorexia was. 
arms crossed. Okay, cool. I'm not reaching anymore. I'm not having needs because when I get, I have needs, they get me hurt. I knew I had needs, but that was a defensive strategy to like, just suppress that, suppress them, suppress them. I knew what they were, but I suppressed it because it wasn't safe. It got me rejected all the time. Nine and nine and a half out of 10 times. So the reach would be either you, your needs got rejected, your reach into relationship got rejected, totally ignored, told was bad or wrong, or you physically got hurt. So people either overreach because they don't really know what to reach for anymore because they don't have clarity or they just stop reaching because what's the point? It doesn't get mad or it gets me hurt. So I'm not doing it. I can totally relate to that um, in, in my personal journey where I was in a relationship with a person who, when I tried to reach or extend my emotion or who I was, it was like it wasn't received. And I could see a direct relationship to that and how I started acting out on the eating disorder again. And it was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, what's happening on your, like what's been happening on your plate is happening in your life and vice versa. If you go to the store, but you can't pick out anything, you've got a reach barrier. So you might have also all the other barriers, but if it's specific, like I came here for Cheerios and I walked around and I couldn't even see them anymore. I was just so like overwhelmed that I just left or I put them in my car and then I walked around for 10 minutes with guilt and then I put it back. You got, you got some like, you know, response barriers like, oh, I know what I need, but getting them in, we're projecting that onto the food. If I put that Cheerios and I bring it home, I'll get criticized. So I'm not, I'm not doing it. Uh, it's actually interesting. Something happened to me today. And like, while you're saying this, I'm like, oh, I wonder how that uh, relates. Is, um, I, I'm a pescatarian, right? So um, I haven't had uh, any other meat other than seafood for maybe about six years. And that was because meat started making me feel sick. So I would like physically get ill and my body just was like, I'm done. I don't want it. And I honored that. But in the past couple of weeks, maybe months, I've been getting this like craving to eat meat. But now my brain's like, well, you've already had, you've done this for six years. You've had this rule that you don't eat meat. Like, and now it's like having to cross this, I guess, barrier of what I've put in my head as a rule versus what my body actually really is asking for, you know, and it's your body's ready for it again. Yeah. And can we be, be flexible with like, I'm feeling that inside. So you have some clarity. It's like, look, I'm not making up this sensation here that I want to go get a steak, but my brain saying, no, that will hurt you. Don't do it from the past though. That's not in now time. Yeah. <laughs> so we won't know unless like you let yourself reach and like take your time and be with yourself and get yourself out of your own head. That, like uh, if I eat this, I'm going to go throw up. It's like, you're, we don't know that. Be here now. That's, that's a beautiful way to look at it. Thank you. And, and I'm sure that this is the kind of stuff that you talk about and deal with and, and help people through in your peaceful eating community. So I'd love to know more about that. Well, let me do one more thing with the, the, the barriers and then we'll talk about the peaceful eating community. Yeah. So there's one more and there is the grasp and is the grasp and pull. So that would be literally like you pick up your, your cup or your fork and you put it in your mouth and you take it in a barrier to being able to really get sad. It's a satisfaction thing. If you can get satisfied. That means that you can take in care. This is a big deal for people who have relational issues, like fully taking care and keep it. So when I see purging, it's almost always connected to like this fight response against keeping care because I'm angry that this care that's supposed to have my back let me down and I don't want to keep it or exercising off your food maybe, or um, just kind of like, again, like not taking in what's good for you. Like you might know that like dairy hurts you, but you binge on it anyway. You're taking it in, you're taking it in, but you can't, you literally cannot digest it because your body can't do it efficiently and it makes you sick. It's almost like I'm used to the feeling of the pain of care hurting me. 
Yeah. So like I'm looking at like, and really satisfaction are about nourishment and vulnerability. Like, can I really take in this care and trust it? Can I keep it? And that's what we're trying to separate out here. It's like, well, you can be trusted. Can we work on you being trusted? Because yeah, we humans are, we, even the ones that really try hard to do our best are going to make mistakes. So humans are 100%, we're going to be fallible to people we care about. And, you know, it's rel relative safety enough. And so knowing when you're in the, that company, when you're not, that's clarity, right? And being able to take that in versus like, well, they might be like everybody else. So I just got to like push them away or taking a little bit, but not enough to be satisfied, blah, blah, all that stuff. So if it's happening with your food, you're not getting satisfied, you have a nourishment barrier. There's some party that won't let you have what's good for you because it might hurt me. So I don't want to, I don't want to keep it. I want it, but I want to keep it. <laughs> this has really been super insightful for me. And, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will be able to start recognizing the barriers that they experience for themselves. And, and then actually maybe not even having known that these things were barriers and now having language that they can put so that they can now start to work with it, you know? So the thing I want to, with the last thing with the nourishment barrier, this comes a lot with like the initial afraid of like, um, body acceptance. It's, this is a really place where people get stuck is like, if I accept this, you know, this means I also have to let go of how I was connected to other people that cannot accept this. So this is where I see people get stuck sometimes with like health at every size or body acceptance, because being satisfied with what's good for you, a well-nourished body that might not be the cultural ideal, people really have wrestled with the being satisfied that that's good enough guess what? It's not going to be good enough for people who still have their own fat phobia, but that's their projections. And that takes a lot of grieving. And that's what people avoid in this part of the work is like, I got to grieve that like, not everybody's going to be on board with me with this. That doesn't mean that I'm inherently doing the wrong thing. Super powerful and encouraging for people who are struggling to kind of accept themselves. And, and it talks into this idea that when you are changing, like dress, doing immense inner work and nourishing your body and all of that stuff, it doesn't automatically mean that the people around you are going to follow suit. I was expecting. Exactly, exactly. And and you're going to have to, A, first be okay with that for yourself and recognize that it's not the, the validation might not come from where you want it to come from. But there are people out there that can relate to you on this level and will nourish and love and care and all of that. And it's it's worth caring about yourself so that you can then find the people who know how to do that for you too. <laughs> And I'm sure, I'm sure this is the kinds of kind of people that are in your peaceful eating community. Um, and I'd love to know more about it. That's why we created the community. Yeah. So we created that community. It's in its third iteration, the third round I don't, iteration of it. Like, um, I'm just looking at my calendar here. I don't know, like 40 years ago, I've been developing it for years before that, but it was like, just wanted a place for this, this kind of co-regulatory journey with other people who are going through it and everybody's at different stages. Yeah. So we do the typical your recovery work of like making sure you're eating enough and providing containment for those who are struggling with the compulsivity around food, body image work, movement, all the stuff we talked about today, but we do it in a very co-regulatory way, which means like we're going to learn how to actually be in a relationship. We don't come there to like, honestly, there's not much venting going on. There's not much like trauma dumping there. We don't do that there. It's really about like, Let's be in a relationship with what we're experiencing so that we can get 
the right kind of care. So that's what it's for. And it's for people that, you know, are either maybe struggling with some access to care uh, or need more care in between like individual sessions, just really love groups, love community. That's the kind of people are there. And it's all kinds of disordered eating, all kinds of body sizes, all ages, I think from like mid twenties to like late seventies, you know, so it's all women and um, just people are devoted. They're all pretty highly sensitive people. So they're pretty aware that like the need to communicate clearly and directly is really important, you know? And uh, yeah, that's kind of what we do there. And we have group meetings and all kinds of educational materials and stuff and um, lots of group support. So yeah, that's what it's about. That's awesome. Um, And so if anyone is looking for a kind of peaceful space that they can share in a community um it would be lovely to just hop on tracy's website which i will share in the comments of this episode and uh, you can go find out more about that so you know we're gonna start wrapping up the episode now but i i would love to know if you have any message or words of encouragement for those who's struggling with their eating disorder recovery it's always you know we're gonna have hard days and easy days and it's, it's a good practice to get clear about how come you're doing this work? Because most people in the world aren't going to be willing to, well, you're not going to get a lot of validation. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And I, I'm not trying to be discouraging. Like that's the encouragement of like, you're doing something so brave that most people aren't willing to do it. And that's a testament to your bravery and your insight to like, this is, this doesn't work. And even if the whole world is doing dieting behaviors, you have lived experience that it doesn't do what it promises to do. And you can always rest on that. So even if all you're like, you know, it's too hard. I don't want to do this today. Give yourself a moment to feel that way. You know, let yourself, you know, feel like this is hard. Ah, that doesn't mean you're failing. It just means maybe you need to like snuggle up on couch with a dog or you need to get some nature or just to reset. Like, What's feeling so hard today? Oh, all this sensation, all this emotion, it's real. That's real. It's not because your body is going to infinitely like gain weight forever um, or that like you're never, you're always going to feel this way. You're not. It's just right today. It's feeling kind of, kind of hard, but there's next meal and another day and probably some support you can give your body right now to feel just a little less bad. I love the idea of the impermanence of bad days I guess um, and um, for you on a little bit of a personal uh, note what is the highlight of your career been or what brings you joy in the work you do I've had so many I've been the, I've had the privilege to do this for a really long time so I just think when people start to have appreciation of like how for themselves like how far they've come and I get to be part of that and witness that and they can articulate whoa like I never dreamed that I could have this, even though you told me this, this idea. And I kind of like just went along with it thinking you're crazy or full of it, but whatever. I, there's something about this I need to stick with anyway. Those are really super fun moments. I had a client I was working with this week that has been with me a long time, really struggling. Um, yeah, it was just a lot of like not knowing anything else, but like overwhelm and trauma and all that. I've been noticing the last couple of sessions, like they're fully here every session with me. In the past, there was no, like, maybe I got a few minutes out of them that they were, they couldn't, they could, they're either, they're always in dissociation or in fight or flight and always trying to bring them back, bring them back, bring, you know, they could stay a little bit and then have to leave again. And to see them now just be more uh, whole, you know, be more in their like adult selves and feel confident about like, I'm a, 
inherently worthy person and I don't have to get out of here <laughs> anytime I feel something that's hard. That's really rewarding because it's like, wow, like they've never had that to be able to just walk around the world and feel like relatively okay most of the time. So then that's with food. That's just not with definitely with food. I mean, that's just been a small piece of it, but it's been just existing. Hasn't felt so treacherous. That's been really amazing. Yeah. Getting more comfortable with the human experience and seeing that evolve, you know? And um, so if we want to get in touch with you, how can we find you? Do you have any social media links or your website or anything like that? Website's easy. Just tracybrownrd.com. And then um, I do have stuff that goes up on uh, Instagram with the same name and um, YouTube is the same name, but I primarily do a lot of honestly like connecting with people all over on Facebook. I do videos every week and little little posts and some do live teachings there. That's the easiest place. Okay, fantastic. Well, it's been so wonderful chatting to you today and you have just this well of amazing insights and knowledge and I'm definitely sure that people are going to find value in this. Um, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. <laughs> I've really appreciated it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for your your presence and awesome questions and I love the way you transition and I just appreciate you. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you have liked it, share it with people who you think might benefit from listening to it as well. Don't forget to go to my Instagram page called at Curious About Recovery to find out about upcoming episodes or to browse the episodes of the past. You can also follow my page called at Kirsten Honeyball where you can get inspiration for your eating disorder recovery.